Father, we thank you for this day. You foresaw and foreknew this moment in the history of this organization and this church. That there would come a moment of opportunity for the people of God to step out in faith. To move beyond themselves. To move in faith. Would you open our spiritual ears to hear the word of the Lord this morning? We would be encouraged, challenged, and changed by your word. Father, we come together as a congregation humbly. Grateful that you would dare do big things with this little church, God. Simultaneously fearful, Lord God, that we handle this moment correctly. And so would you give us wisdom, Lord, as we hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church say amen. In this Gospel of John from the Apostle John, we read the story that is familiar to us, the feeding of the 5,000. This feeding of the 5,000, this miracle is happening in the likely the third year of Jesus' ministry. And it comes on the heels, as I told you before, of the death of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And, and Jesus has kind of withdrawn to get away from the crowd because he's in the midst of a crisis and he wants to mourn, but the crowd follows Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus looks upon them and he begins to think. And he begins to have compassion on them. Now, as many theologians have estimated, the crowd might be over 15,000 people because all they numbered was the 5,000 men, not numbering the women and the children that were there. And rather than telling them to go home, Jesus desires to meet their need. In John's account, we see that Jesus lifts his eyes and he begins to ask Philip, where are we to buy bread for this many great people? And seeing the large crowd, Jesus recognizes that, number one, the crowd does not have what it takes to feed themselves. I want to point that out to every single one of us, that the Lord knows that the lost in our city don't have what it takes to meet the need of salvation. But that it's up to the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ to meet that need. Jesus had it in his spirit already, what he was prepared to do. Jesus knew what Jesus was going to do, but he begins to test his disciples. He wanted to test them to see. After three years, did they know what Jesus could do? I find it amazing that in moments like this, God, he asked things of us to test us. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for three years or more, but do you have enough understanding of how big and how good God is that he can test you and you pass the test? He tests us to see, do you trust me? He tests us to see, have you been watching and listening that I have provided for you in every season of your life and why would I start failing now? Jesus was inviting Philip to partner with him in this miracle. Jesus is inviting his disciples to partner with him in this miracle. He says, there's a great need in front of us. What should we do? Can I challenge you in this moment that God is looking to partner with you? That each and every one of us as individuals in this house, God is looking to partner with us. Here's point number one, real simple, that Jesus is inviting us to partner with this legacy miracle. That there's something that God is trying to transact in the region that if we would be obedient, the Lord would begin to move on the behalf of his people. That each and every one of us today is being invited by God to share in the greater narrative of the region. To share in a greater purpose. Somebody say this with me. It's bigger than me. This is not about now. It's about what is next in the house. 
There is a much larger story about to unfold that he's inviting Philip into. There's a greater narrative in the scripture that God's inviting his disciples into. There's a greater thing that will be told for generations, this story and this miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000. But the question becomes, will his disciples in the moment begin to partner with Jesus? The issue is this, though. That sometimes when God invites us in, we look at the impossibility and our lack of ability than staring God in the face, looking at his possibility and what he's able to do. And so many of us for three weeks, you've been hearing a million dollars above and beyond our tithe. You're looking at saying, God, how can I stretch at all? What can I do when we're looking at all the impossibility? And Philip, he, he points to the natural. And if you're anything like Philip, I could be like that sometimes too, that we point to the natural and say, God, not possible. God, I don't know about this. I'll do, I'll do less than what I feel like you're saying because I trust myself apparently more than you, God. Don't worry, that's not you. And so Philip says 200 denarii would not be able to feed this crowd. 200 denarii, a denarii would have been a day's wages. For even numbers sake, you work about 200 days a year on an average job and and, and so he says 200 times a day's wage, if you make 50,000, it's 40,000 a year. 40,000 now, he says, Chris, it's not going to feed this crowd. You're talking about a massive crowd. And so what Philip does automatically is he points to what is not able to happen. He leans in on his lack of ability. Like many of us in this moment, we might look at ourselves like, I don't know, God, this ain't possible for me. But yet Jesus did this to test him because Jesus already knew what he was about to do. And I want to challenge you that God knows what he's going to do at Citywide, and God knows what he's going to do in Bridgeport, and God knows what he's about ready to do in your life if you would be obedient. Yet when Jesus looks to feed this multitude, he does not go outside of his own disciples looking for the need. Jesus does not look for some rich benefactor in the crowd. Jesus doesn't look to the lost. He doesn't look to anybody else. He looks inside his 12. He got guys, what do we got? How can we feed this group? And I bet you the other disciples are so happy that he asked Philip. Some of you feel like I'm so happy God's not challenging me. He is got to clear that up real quick. <laughs> it's for every one of us. It's for our household. It's for each and every person. Here's point number two, very simple, that God will meet our needs by looking inward, not outward. That God's not looking to somebody else to do their part. That God's not looking for somebody else to sow. We, we don't, this, there, there's nothing. Will God bring other people? By his grace, he will. But he's looking at us first. He's looking for us to step up to partner with him. He looks at his disciples and he says, hey, what do you have? What can we do that will meet the need of the region? He's looking at every follower of Jesus, every attendee and member of this house and saying to you, what will you do to meet the need of the house of Jesus Christ? How will we as a church meet this need? Jesus knows that there's nowhere where he can find food. And so he looks to Philip, and here's why. Philip is actually from the area where Jesus is at. And so Jesus looks at the local, and he says, where's the best food places around here that we can get something going? And Philip's like, ain't no place. It's like somebody walking up to you and asking you, what are some of the best places in Bridgeport to eat? As a Bridgeport native or wherever you're from, you should know from your region where the best food places are. If you're from Bridgeport and you don't tell them, go to Taste of Yolk, you need Jesus. 
If you don't tell them to go try some Harborview cookies, you need to get delivered. If you don't tell them to go to the source coffee house, you need the spirit of God in your life. If you don't tell them about Beverly's Pizza and Massimo and Coquito and Morivivi, you need to get saved. If you don't tell them to stay away from the cochinito, you need to be saved as well. You better tell them the best, right? Because you know the area. And so Jesus looks at Philip like he looks at us and says, you know what's best for Bridgeport. What will you do? How will you sow? How will you give in this moment of pledging? How will you give? Jesus is looking at us. Many of us are hoping that he's looking at the person next to us. But I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you that Jesus is looking at you because he has something in mind in your life he wants to do. Can I tell you that God never asked anything of me or my wife that he did not have an ability to give us back? He did not ever, ever in our lives, in our marriage, in our history, in my walk with the Lord, he never once asked me of something that he did not have better in store for me. Can I challenge you in this moment? Can I challenge you that God has something bigger for you? God is looking inside of the church. He could bring resources from across the globe, but he's choosing to look at us right here and right now. For some of you, this is scary, but I want to tell you, God is big enough to do everything he's called you to do. Philip, his mindset made him wander. And when, when we think about when we, when we think about what we cannot do, we begin to forget what God can do. And I want to challenge you that each and every one of you, do not forget in this season what the Lord can do. But I love Andrew, the brother of Jesus, a Peter rather. Andrew is a person in scripture. Every time we see Andrew, he's bringing something or somebody to Jesus. And so Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. And Andrew, he brings this little boy who has this little amount of food. Five barley loaves and two fish. Can I tell you that no, no history book records this boy's name? We don't know if he's seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, 15, 20. He could have been a boy up to 30 years old in Jewish culture. We don't know who this person is. We don't know what provoked him to give. We don't know why he's the only person in the crowd with food. What we do know is he's properly prepared for the journey at hand. And we do know that everybody else in the crowd was not. And we see that Jesus finds this little boy by Andrew. But we know this, that this young boy did not limit the little that was in his hands. While he didn't give much by some standards, he gave all. I want to I tell you that God doesn't measure what we give, especially today, by what we give, the amount or the number or the dollar amount. God measures what we give by what we have left. Ah, it's painful for some of us. That's real painful. When we see the story of the widow with two mites, Jesus says she gave more than everybody, even though she gave two pennies, because she had nothing left. While many others gave large sums of money, Jesus looks at us and says, what do you have left after I've asked you to be sacrificial? This little boy gave everything. We, we don't know who he is. We don't know anything about him except he's the little boy with five loaves and two fish. But he, here we are because of his generosity talking about him thousands of years later. He didn't even know if he would get to eat from that food. He didn't know what Jesus was going to do, but he didn't. Let what he didn't know stop him from letting go. He did not let 
what he did not know stop him from letting go because he understood that it was better to give it to the master than to keep it for himself. And it was just a little bit. I, we, we, we read this like he had five barley loaves and two fish. It wasn't like he was walking around with like five loaves of bread. These are little, these are just little loaves, like a half a Portuguese roll. <laughs> these weren't like some big, you know, thousand pound tunas. These are probably some little scampy looking sardines. He's got a little, somebody say a little, but he gave it all. What can God do with my little? What can God do with my, I'm telling you he can do with your little. He can stretch it. He can take it to the next level. He can do whatever he needs to do with it because our little is always enough in the hands of Jesus. Do you have that kind of trust though in God? Do you have that kind of faith in Jesus that if you dare to sow and bring an initial gift to make a pledge that God would meet your needs? That the Lord would come and meet your every need? Let's recap. There's this invitation from Jesus for each of us to partake today in this next move of God in this house. And secondly, Jesus is not looking outside the church in this season to meet this need. He is looking here in the house, calling us to be sacrificial in our giving above and beyond our regular giving. This is not for us to take our regular giving and say, well, I'm going to put it towards the project. That's not what this is about. We're asking every member be sacrificial. Our leadership, me and my wife, we all went Friday and we led by example to be sacrificial in our resources. And this little boy, he gave sacrificially. Whether we view it like that or not, that's what he did. He gave it all. Can I tell you that today, nobody might record your name in a history book? That what you give today and what you pledge and what you sow, nobody might keep record of it, but God will. Can I tell you that countless lives will be changed by your labor of love today, that many people will be touched by the gospel, that many thousands will be filling the house of God because of your generosity today. What we do today will change lives. That boy partnered with Jesus. He partnered with him. Let me close with this thought in Matthew 14, 19. Jesus would take the five loaves and two fish. He would pray over it and break the bread. But I love the detail in Matthew 14, 19. It says this, that he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave, it, gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Do you realize that not only did the boy partner with Jesus by giving him all that he had, but that then Jesus takes, he takes the bread, he prays over it, he breaks it after blessing it, and he doesn't divide it himself. He puts it back into the hands of his disciples. And the miracle happens in the hands of disciples, not the hands of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recorded that as the disciples would break off pieces, that there was just always more. There was more than enough. That at the end of it, there was 12 basketfuls left over. That at the end of it, there was more than enough. Why is this? Because God looks for men and women in the earth to partner with him in his work. He looked for the boy to partner with him. He looked for the disciples to partner with him. Here's point number three for you. That this next miracle will require your partnership. 
that we can't just sit here and get excited and get emotional. We have to get involved. We have to put our hands to the plow. And there is many people who need to know Jesus. And your little five loaves and two fish might make the difference. But today, Jesus is inviting every son and daughter in this house, every individual from the youngest to the oldest, from the poorest to the richest, from the least of these to the most of these, from the advantage to the disadvantage. He is saying to you, how will you partner with this miracle? This idea of God partnering with miracles is not new in Scripture. Every time God desires to do something in Scripture, he partners with a man or a woman willing to do his work, willing to be sacrificial in their life. When God sought to save humanity from a flood, he partnered with the man whose name was Noah, who built an ark and preserved humanity. When God desired to build a nation in the earth that would be his pattern of a nation who followed after him, he, he looked for a man whose name was Abram. When God desired to save Israel and partner with the man to pull him out of slavery in Egypt, he partnered with the man whose name was Moses. And then when God desired to pull Israel out of 40 years in the wilderness, he partners with the man whose name is Joshua. Miracle require partnership when God needed to raise up judges for Israel I want to tell you that he raised up men like Samson Gideon and Deborah and Ehud God raised up people and when he brought them into the promised land they had to fight 31 kings because even promises require warfare just because God said it don't mean you don't have to actually fight for it you have to do your part when the Lord needed a prophet to guide Israel, he partnered with the man named Samuel. When he looked for a king after his own heart, he partners with the guy whose name is David. When he needs eagle-eyed prophets, he partners with men like Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Micah and Amos. God always looks for a partner in the earth. When God sought to partner with the elderly old man whose name was Boaz, you think the story's about Ruth, but it was Boaz who was in the lineage of Jesus, and God he had no son so God raises up a woman whose name is Ruth to go to Boaz her kinsman so that she might be redeemed by him that God would keep the seed of a savior alive he looked after Boaz Jewish tradition says that Boaz died the night after their wedding it was always about the seed. It was always about him, but God was looking for partners in the earth. God is looking for men and women who will not just hear him, but those who will obey. That you don't just clap at it, you actually move towards it. That you don't just shout, you actually give. Did you know that over 68% of Jesus' miracles required partnership? And the ones that did not dealt with nature, demons, and death. Every other miracle Jesus did, somebody had to do something for it. When Jesus turned the water into wine, servants had to pour the water. In Luke 5, Simon had to let down his net in order to catch the miracle catch. Miracles require partnership. In Mark chapter 1, the leper had to go out in faith and he knelt before Jesus to be healed. In Matthew 8, 5, the centurion had to believe that his, at the word of Jesus, his servant would be healed. In Mark chapter 2, they had to actually break a hole in the roof and bring a paralytic man to Jesus in order that he be healed. Miracles require? In Matthew 12, 13, the man with the withered hand was commanded to stretch out 
his hand in order that he be healed. In Matthew 9, the woman with the issue of blood had to press through the crowd. In Matthew 9, Jairus had to believe even though his daughter had died. Miracles require partnership. In Matthew 9, the blind man had to cry out to Jesus. In John chapter 5, he was commanded to take up his bed that he may walk. In Matthew 14, disciples had to take the bread and break it before a miracle happened. Miracles require In Matthew 14, 22, Peter had to have faith that he could walk on water. In Mark chapter 6, they had brought all the sick to Jesus in order that they be healed. In Matthew 15, the Syrophoenician woman had to come with a real true faith to receive from Jesus. In Matthew 15, the man had to present his son to have a demon cast out of him. Miracles require... I could do this all day. In Mark chapter 7, they brought a man who was deaf, who wanted to hear, wanted to speak, and so Jesus healed him. In Matthew 15, when they fed the 4,000, the disciples had to act. Miracles In John chapter 7, the man had to go wash his eyes before he got healed. In Matthew 17, the man had to bring his son to Jesus. In Matthew 17, they had to drop the fish for a second miraculous catch. Miracles! Somebody's getting it. In Luke 17, there were lepers who were cleansed, but they had to have faith and believe. In John 11, they had to roll a stone away from the grave of Lazarus to see a dead thing come to life. In Matthew 20, the blind man had to ask the Lord to heal him. And in John 21, in the second miraculous catch, they had to actually obey the word of Jesus. Miracles. They don't just happen. Somebody has to believe. Somebody has to partner. Somebody has to grab hold of heaven. Somebody has to grab hold of a prophetic word of God. Somebody has to believe God for the word over this house. Somebody has to partner with him. This next miracle, it requires your partnership. Promises and miracles require partnership. A little boy gave a little lunch. Over 2,000 years later, we still get built up by that faith. 20 years from now, how many will come to Jesus because you sowed today? 30 years from now, how much of a legacy will we build? Not for citywide, not for the Burgoses. This ain't about our family. It's not about you. It's about those who are coming. It's about those who don't know Jesus. It's about a generation who is lost. It's about those who desperately need a true and living gospel, a savior who is real. More than ever, the church of Jesus Christ is needed. We started by saying Isaiah 54, verse 1. Single barren woman who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Listen, listen to me closely. The Spirit of the Lord says to each and every one of us that what he would do in our lives and in this ministry will be greater than anything else around us. Not because we're better, but because we're obedient. Not because we're greater, but because he's great. Not because we're famous, but because he's faithful. Nobody might ever know our name, and that's fine. As long as they know the name of Jesus. As long as they come to know Jesus. As long as they come and know. 
Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. But I love this part. Do not hold back. This is what he's saying. That the way that God was about to enlarge her tent was in direct correlation with the amount of faith she had to stretch it. Can I tell somebody in this room today that the way that God's going to meet you is in the way that you stretch this pledge out. What do you have to believe the Lord for? What is it in your life that you believe in God and contending for? Listen, this isn't about emotion. It's about faith. It's about seeing God move. It's about believing for more. Lengthen your cords, stretch out your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Bridgeport can be desolate at times. Man, but there's a spirit of the Lord brooding over the city again. Ready, willing, and able to fill every part of it with his power. If there would be a people who would stand up and say, God, if you can use anybody, you can use me. And Lord, that includes my resources and my finances. In just a moment here, we're going to take our pledge. And and if you haven't prepared your card, there are ushers here who are ready, willing, and able to do that with you. And there's going to be a graphic coming up behind me. If you want to set up an electronic pledge, you can do that electronically. In a moment, Daimo's going to come up and share with you uh, just some clarity on the card and what you can expect. And then we're going to pray for a few moments. We're not going to do the offering just yet, but we're going to pray for a few moments. We're going to worship, and then we're going to sow into this next move of God. Amen.